I ask you to turn your Bibles this evening, please, to Matthew chapter 11. Pastor Brian in Sunday School has been doing a wonderful series, and he brought up, he just mentioned something in passing last Sunday, and um, I wrote it down because I knew I wouldn't remember by the time I got to the car, so I wrote it down, and I got home, and I immediately started looking into it, and I've been looking into that all week long, and so thankfully when Pastor called yesterday, uh, I had been working uh, on this thought. Uh, in his Sunday school lesson, he just simply mentioned this phrase that Jesus says, but I say unto you. So here in Matthew chapter 11, we're going to find that phrase, and I want to look at some things uh, about Christ. And when he says this phrase, but I say unto you, Matthew 11 and we'll read just verses uh, 16 through 24. I'll just have a short word of prayer before we read. Father, I do thank you for Grace Baptist Church. I thank you for our pastors. Father, I thank you that there is a place to come where you are lifted up, the music is honoring and glorifying to you, that we can worship you in music, that the word of God is preached in such a way that it's crystal clear. Father, I pray that tonight you would just help us Still our hearts, help us to be able to stay attentive. And Father, I pray if there is something here tonight that we need as an individual, I pray you'd help us to act on it. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 11, verse 16. But whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, we have piped unto you, and ye have not danced, and we have mourned unto you, and ye have not lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he hath the devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a, fr a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. Verse 20, then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Woe unto you, Chorazin. Woe unto you, Bethsaida. If the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. So we see this phrase, but I say unto you, and, and when Pastor Brian mentioned that, it just really triggered something. And I looked it up, and Christ is recorded as saying this phrase, but I say unto you, 15 different times throughout the scriptures. So I've been in church long enough. When a preacher gets up and says, I know you've understood this verse this way, and I'm sure it's been taught to you this way, but I'm going to show you something new. 
That's when I say, I want to go to the nursery. There is nothing new under the sun. But when Jesus says, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, but I say unto you. So I, I spent some time at all 15, and we're only looking at one tonight, so don't panic. But all that Christ does is when he says, but I say unto you, he is simply clarifying something. He, he has to do that for you and I because we have an ability to read a crystal clear portion of scripture, twist it to say what we want it to say so that we can still do what we're doing but still say that we're doing what the Bible says because this is how we interpret it. And so Jesus will tell us, but I say unto you. I know I've used this illustration many times, but one of the best ways to get into a conversation with a person um, about eternity is to just simply ask them, if you were to die today, where do you think you would spend eternity? And almost everyone will respond, I hope in heaven. And so you would ask them, well, what is that hope based on? And the majority of times they will say, well, I, I try to be a good person. I, I try to keep the Ten Commandments. And, and you can say, oh, well, that's all there is? Yes. Well, can you give me those Ten Commandments? And they will say, without a doubt, I don't know all ten of them. And so you say, so you, you are basing your eternity on keeping 10 rules that you don't know what the rules are. And, that, and that's just to get them thinking. And, and then you can say, well, can you tell me at least one of them? Well, they're going to grab the one, maybe the only one they think they're innocent of, thou shalt not kill. And this is one of the places that we find Jesus saying, you have heard it, uh, that it was said of them of old, thou shalt not kill, but I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And, and folks, it gets worse, so bear with me. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka. Well, that's safe because you don't know what it means. It means you're worthless, empty. Those people shall be in danger of the council but whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. And the commentators will tell us, it's, it, it, Jesus is trying to get an idea of what our, what our spirit should be like, of how we operate. Every word we say is so important. And so if you've ever called anyone a fool, if you've ever called a political leader a fool, I'm just quoting Jesus here, you're in danger of hellfire. It doesn't mean if you say that, you lose your salvation. It just means that is not the spirit of Christ living in us. But it does help a lost person to understand the one thing they thought they were safe in, thou shalt not kill. Well, have you ever called anybody a fool? So the one rule that they remembered, they've broken that one. Say, well, give me a second one. And of course, then it's thou shalt not commit adultery. You say, oh, so you've heard of old it was said by them of old, uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. But Jesus says, but I say unto you, 
that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So you can approach them with, well, you know two rules, and I'm pretty sure you've broken them both. And then you can go in to the gospel with them. But this is the Sunday night crowd. This is the cream of the crop. This is, this is preaching to the choir. And yet, we have to be aware that Jesus 15 times takes the word of God and says, but I say unto you. Because he wants us to understand the word of God the way that he wrote it initially. Not, not the letter of the law. We need to understand the spirit of the law. We need to understand what is a Christian supposed to do? How are we supposed to act? We, we can't just go through our entire Christian life saying, I'm okay because when I look at this verse, this is what it means, and so I'm not responsible for this. No, we are utterly responsible for this. Calling somebody a fool, calling somebody worthless. If we are to love as Christ loved, then we will somehow get in the frame of mind of Christ that we are aware of every word that we say, of every action, of every thought. And so in these verses tonight, I want to look at just three things briefly. First of all, he says, this generation. And we, we have an eternal book here, amen? That's the beauty of the word of God. I remember Charles Keene preaching a message one time in chapel and I don't remember anything from 40 years ago, but I remember this outline. He said, the word of God, it's from God for me today. So when I see this generation, I don't think, oh, he's talking to those guys 2,000 years ago. No, he's talking to Jerry Baritsky. He's talking to you and I. And so he says here in verse 16, but whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, we have piped unto you and you have not danced. And we have mourned unto you and, we have, and you have not lamented. And so we see in verse 18, for John came, and now he's giving the example, John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he hath the devil. In verse 19, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a man gluttonous, and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. And so when, when Christ looks at generation after generation after generation, and, and I'm talking here about born-again believers, he often sees us as children. You know, when you, when you raise children and, and your one-year-old does something new, it's so exciting and then when they're two, they do something new, and it's so much fun. But then when your six-year-old does the same thing the two-year-old does, they get in trouble for it. Because we want our children to mature. And, and it must be frustrating to God when he sees his children born again in church, reading their Bibles every day, and 30 years after being saved, they say, well, you know, I've got this one problem, and, I, and it, I know I got it, and I'm working on it. 
Can you imagine if your one-year-old was working on something for 30 years? I mean, God wants us to let the Word of God work in our lives. We need victory in our life, amen? We, we can't rest on the victories of 25 years ago. We ought to see growth in our life. It doesn't matter how old we are, and it doesn't matter how long we've been saved. We ought to be showing maturity. And yet what Jesus sees are these children. He says, this generation is like a bunch of children. Our problem is our sin nature is never satisfied. And so because of that, we behave as children. We are spoiled. You can watch a mom prepare a meal, a wonderful meal. They set it down. They say, let's eat. And the child says, I don't want that. And the mom says, well, then I'll give you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. This is not in my home. This is other homes. Amen. <laughs> I'll give you a peanut. And, and the mom makes a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and sets it down. And the child says, I don't want brown bread. And so the mom goes, not in my home, other homes, the mom goes and makes a peanut butter and jelly on white bread. And the child says, I don't like the crust. And so you cut the crust off in other homes. And then they open it up and say, this is grape jelly. I don't like grape jelly, I want strawberry jelly. And yet Jesus says, that's, that's how we look to him. He pours out blessings on us. We, we are a blessed nation, a blessed people, a blessed church, a blessed individual. And yet what we find is we are just constantly acting like a spoiled child. The Bible now, the commentary book says, for this portion of scripture, Jesus compared that generation to a group of little children sitting in the marketplace who could not be pleased by anything. If we pipe unto you, you will not dance. If we mourn unto you, you will not lament. And then Jesus goes on to explain what he's saying. He says, John mourned to you. He said he had a devil. Jesus says, I'm piping to you. I'm eating, I'm drinking, I'm fellowshipping. And, and look at the names you call me. And you kill John, and you will ultimately kill me as well. We're like children. We, we want our way, and we don't get our way. Then we pout, and we're upset, and we want things just the way we want them. That's this generation. Look at verse 19 in the very last line there. He says, Jesus speaking, he says, but... Wisdom is justified of her children. What he's saying is, and stay with me here because you're not going to like it, John was right and Jesus was right. John fasted, was a bit of an odd character, was isolated, totally different. And Jesus mingled and, and fellowshiped. In fact, I was, as I was later this afternoon, I was thinking, 
I wonder how many times Jesus talked about food. I mean, he fed the 5,000, fed all these people, raised them from the dead and said, they must be hungry, let's feed. It's, you know, the disciples come in, feed food. He, he came that way. And, and what Jesus is saying is that John was right and I was right. But he says, wisdom is justified of her children. John had a following. They came to him for baptism. They came to him for repentance. He was paving the way. And there were those that came to Jesus Christ. Totally different people. But it's not that one is right and one is wrong. Our problem is not the messengers. Our problem will always be the message. The messenger is not sharper than a two-edged sword. This is. And it's always interesting. You can preach a message on this, and somebody leaves convicted about this. Because God is able to take his word and do things that, that the, the person that's speaking the words don't even, don't even know that God is using that in a very unique way. And so we, we need to get to that place where we just... Just understand, God uses all kinds of people in all different ways to, to accomplish his task. And, and in the New Testament, God, he, he says, you know, I, I know I'm going to be dealing with some pretty hard-headed people, so I'm going to try to make this as simple as I can. In Jude 21 through 23, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. That's our goal. Then he says, then as you keep yourself, then as you reach out to the lost world, he says, and of some have compassion, making a difference. And of others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. So I'm sure you've never said it, but I people in other churches, They'll hear a preacher say, man, man, he was loud. And then you'll hear somebody say, I don't like that quiet preaching, teaching stuff. And yet Jude says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that for 2,000 years we can understand God uses different messages, miss different messengers to speak to different people. Some just need compassion, and you'll make a difference there. But others, you're going to have to scare the fire out of them. So it really doesn't matter if you happen to like this speaker or that speaker, because apparently that, that wasn't what God sent to affect you, but he's talking to somebody. But we're like kids. Well, I don't, I don't like that kind. And so... That kind of brings us to the subject, the wonderful subject of murmuring. I look, you're sorry you came tonight, amen. You thought Pastor Hurley was going to be here, nope. So I look up the word murmuring, and it's found 40 different times in our Bibles. And God hates it. And, and you ought to hate it too. If God hates it, we should hate it, amen. And, and, and listen, this is... A quarter of them. People murmured against Moses. The whole congregation murmured against Moses and Aaron. 
And quickly, the scripture says, your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. And then it says, I put stars on this one. Ye murmured in your tents and hearken not unto the voice of the Lord. And, and I'm sure, again, other people in other churches do this. They hear a message, and they, and they hear one thing that didn't ring just true or right with them. And they focus on that. They miss the other 35 minutes of the message. They get in the car and murmur. They go home and murmur, and they don't do anything that was in the message because they're so busy murmuring. Other churches, other people. But this is what's happened in the Old Testament. All the congregation murmured against the princes. Even when the alabaster box of precious ointment was poured on our Savior, the disciples murmured against her. Scribes and Pharisees murmured against the disciples. They murmured against Jesus for healing on the wrong day, for being a guest with a sinner. They murmured against Jesus and said, I, when Jesus said, I am the bread which come down from heaven. Even his disciples murmured at some of Jesus' teaching. In fact, it says there was much murmuring among the people concerning him. And then there's 28 more. It's, it's a sin problem. And, and it's a problem we have because if we can murmur about this, then we're not really focused on this. We worry about somebody else's problem, what somebody else is doing, and we lose sight of what it is you and I should be doing. And again, the New Testament can just bring it down simple. Do all things without what? Murmurings and disputings. There's the command. Do all things without murmurings. So as you go through your day, your week, your month, your year, can you look back and say, you know what, I don't, I don't murmur. I, I, don't, I don't do those things. Or is it something, it's a, it is a habit that creeps in. But the problem is as these things come into our life, we become ineffective as Christians doing what it is we ought to do. So Jesus says, wisdom is justified of her children. You don't take that phrase and say, oh, oh, I see, the ends justify the means. No, absolutely not. You don't, you don't change things to try to get some result, but you do take the word of God, and you do realize with some have love, have compassion, making a difference. With other, you, you, you're going to have to scare them. You're going to have to be harsh and, and harder with them. But wisdom is justified of her children, of the results of ministry. And when we look at John, he had a wonderful ministry. When we look at Christ, he had a wonderful ministry. And yet people didn't like them because they didn't agree with what they were doing. And then third and last, verse 20 through 24, woe to all who foolishly reject truth. Verse 20 then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. 
But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For the mighty works which have been done in thee have been done in Sodom. It would have remained unto this day. But I say unto you, that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. When we visited Israel this spring, and we visited across the country, every one of the cities mentioned here are completely gone. And the reference, of course, Capernaum was alive and well then. But ultimately, they totally rejected the Savior. And so today, Capernaum doesn't exist. We went to the ruins. We saw a synagogue. But there's, there's nothing left. When Christ teaches us, when, when we hear truth, we must obey the truth. And we don't always like the truth. How often do we tell the child to do something expecting them to like being told that? We, we don't expect them to like it. We just expect them to accept it and to do it. And that's how you and I should be. We should not be as little children. Yes, if you've been saved two months, then maybe you've got some growing to do. But for many of us, We've been not saved months or years. We've been saved decades. So we should not be struggling with the same problems that we struggled with 30 years ago. We should be so far past that. We should be having victories in our life, and we should be having victories constantly in our life. You know, the, the, the emphasis of reading our, our Bibles daily it's because once we read the word of God, whether it's morning or evening, it gives God some ammunition to speak to us privately. And I know he does that. Then when you come to Sunday school, you come to church, you hear the preaching, and, and we're promised his word never returns void. It can't. His Holy Spirit will take that word and it will do something in your heart. Now, whether we respond or not, is up to us. But our responsibility is to look at the word of God. The word of God will do a work in us and then we have to say, yes, I, I see, I have this problem in my life and I need victory in this area. He says to these others, to these cities where, the, where we spent much of our time in Israel around the Sea of Galilee, he says, if Tyre and Sidon had heard a fraction of what you had heard, they would have repented. But you did not. And I, do, and I do find, as we grow older sometimes, we don't repent so well. We get kind of rigid in our, in our beliefs, in our thoughts, in our, in our habits. And what he's telling them is that to whom much is given, much is required. I was born in America. Probably the majority of us were. I have been, throughout my life, though I didn't get saved until I was older, 
inundated with the gospel, whether it's back in the late 50s and early 60s, it was black and white TV or billboards or church, whatever it was. We hear the gospel over and over. I, I, I can't hardly get from here back home again without seeing a billboard telling me I need to be saved. To whom much is given, much is required. To even have, and, I, and it is a privilege, to have the privilege of attending Grace Baptist Church one time because the word is always proclaimed from here. Always. You know if you invite a friend, if they come and sit, they are going to hear truth. To whom much is given, much is required. But what about us that are here multiple times a week, week after week, month after month, year after year? To whom much is given. Friends, there's much required of us. And we ought to be changing. We ought to be maturing. If we're not, it could be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment. Particularly if you are someone that is in Grace Baptist Church and you love the church and you love the pastor and you love the music and you love the fellowship but you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. And you say, well, that, I mean, that couldn't even be. And yet, I've heard many stories, and I don't make any reference here, a pianist leaving the piano during the invitation and coming forward and saying, I need to get saved. Of a deacon stepping up and saying, I just realized tonight I am not saved. And I've, and I've heard of a pastor kneeling down and realizing that he, wasn't, he, he really had not trusted Christ as his Savior. It, it's easy to change a church because you like the people. And it's sometimes easy to say the words, oh, yes, I've trusted Christ. But only you know inside, are you born again? Because to, to sit under the gospel year after year after year and leave knowing you are not saved, to whom much is given, much is required. And in Hebrews 2, 3, the Bible says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? So if you're here and not saved, don't, don't neglect salvation. But believer, don't neglect the salvation that you have. Don't, don't think it's just some part of your life. It is our life. It is our everything. And if, and if we think we understand the word of God and yet we are doing things that we know are contrary to the word of God, Need to, let's make sure we know exactly the spirit of that law, the spirit of that scripture. Am I, am I careful in the words that I say? Am I careful in the person that I am? Because I do want to be a better Christian every day. Let's pray. Our Father, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for the teachings of Christ and the clarifications of things that we might take for granted and miss the spirit. 
Thank you for this church. And Father, I pray if there's someone here tonight and they've never been born again, I do pray they would not leave this place without settling that once and for all. And then, Father, I pray for every believer. Speak to our hearts. Help us to see where we're falling short. And, Father, help us to take a step of maturity for you. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.